Hey everyone, my name is Isaiah and I'm the Associate Pastor at Christ the King. This is the second episode in the fourth and final week of our Advent Psalm series. Today's Psalm is Psalm 118. I will read and then afterwards we'll reflect on the scripture together before ending with a time of prayer. Psalm 118. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. With the Lord on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? The Lord is on my side to help me. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in mortals. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They blazed like a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I might enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. We beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you. Give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. This psalm has so many beautiful and familiar lines in it. One line that particularly stood out to me while reading it this week was verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This line also stood out to many of the New Testament authors. This verse is either quoted or referenced six times in the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Peter quotes this verse from Psalm 118. In 1 Peter 4, where he writes, 
as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's a quote from the book of Isaiah. And then he quotes verse 22 from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or chief cornerstone. The Apostle Paul also references this verse in Ephesians 2 as he describes the relationship between Christ and his church. He writes to the believers in Ephesus that you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In both of these instances, we have temple language and metaphors being used. First for Jesus, who the authors identify as this stone that was rejected by the builders, who has now become the cornerstone. And then interestingly enough, this language of temple building materials, stones, is then used to also describe members of Christ's body, the church. Remember, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is explicitly temple language and imagery. Temples in the ancient world uh, were where divine space and human space overlapped. Ancient Israel in particular had a long history of God dwelling with them via a tabernacle or temple. God's divine presence dwelt in their midst. Through the temple, their sins were atoned for or covered, and God's guidance and direction was given. Actually, even before Israel had a tabernacle or temple, God dwelt with his people in a garden temple called Eden. Here, heaven and earth overlapped divine space and human space together in a place brimming with creative energy, peace, and communion with God. In fact, many of the symbols in the later tabernacle or even later temple harken back to the garden. Life as it should be on the earth, writ large, may have disappeared in the fall of humanity, but some of that flourishing of human life lived in God's presence can be seen in glimpses in the tabernacle or temple. When Jesus confronts the religious leaders of his day with their supposed reference for God while all the while while they are rejecting him, he quotes this line from Psalm 118, self-identifying as the stone which the builders rejected. Jesus, as the chief cornerstone of a new temple that is not filled with exploitation like the money changers he chased out of the temple courts, but rather as the house of his father, a place of prayer for all peoples. He came to bring that flourishing and wholeness that only comes from the presence of God near to us. In his ministry and his person, heaven and earth overlapped. This is why in the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus is described as tabernacling among us. He is like a temple, a place of atonement, of forgiveness of sins, and communion with God. Jesus is also like a temple or tabernacle because the Spirit of God rests on him 
like at his baptism in the Jordan. All of this is good news for us in, in that Jesus made a way through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension back into the Eden-like space of human flourishing, living in communion with God. The new creation has already begun through his resurrection, and we are now part of it. But there's more. Like the apostles wrote, if Jesus' death was his rejection at the hands of the chief elders and priests, and he was that stone that the builders rejected, that has now become the cornerstone in the new temple of his body, then in him, we too are being joined, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ultimately, the new creation that already began in the second garden where Jesus walked out of that tomb, it will be extended to the whole earth, returning the entirety of it back into the garden temple that it really is, with Jesus at the center. But until that day, and this is what it means to be an Advent, we are still being built up together as a kind of temple, waiting, being in God's presence, like the early church was waiting on the day of Pentecost. Together with him, the chief cornerstone, we can begin to enjoy God's presence and goodness again, even as we wait for the consummation. We are designed for this kind of life. We are made for this type of communion and fellowship. As we move into prayer, I would like us to pause and hold that image of flourishing and wholeness in God's presence that we were made for. Through our union with Jesus, we, even now, enter into God's presence. His Holy Spirit magnifies the love that God has for us. Let's pause for a moment as we reflect on what it means for us to be indwelt with his Spirit and for his Spirit to magnify God's love that he has for us. Okay, now let's take a moment to hold out to God the places in our world that are not currently flourishing. Uh, whether it is our planet, which is struggling under climate change, or the places in God's world where people are experiencing famine or war, like in the Ukraine or Somalia right now. We hold these spaces before God and ask that his kingdom would come and his will would be done here in those places as it is in heaven. We'll pause for a moment as we lay these situations before God. Okay, finally, we look to the Lord for the parts of our own lives that feel incongruent with the life that he has for us. Let's take some time now to bring before God those things that we are weighted down by currently. It might be a relationship with a parent or sibling or spouse. It could be a particular behavior or pattern that you feel caught in. Let's ask God together that he would bring freedom and light to these hurts and weighed down places. If you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness, this would be a good time to receive his grace and mercy afresh. We'll pause for a moment.
as we close our time together today, let's close with a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. It goes like this. Holy Spirit, breath of God and fire of love, I cannot pray without your aid. Kindle in me the fire of your love and illumine me with your light. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 118, the Lord is God and he has given us his light.